Hi everyone, my name is Beata Vilcek and this is Fashion Knowledge, a podcast educating, disrupting and shaping fashion futures. Fashion Knowledge is brought to you by Unfolding Strategies, a consultancy and education lab for digital, inclusive and sustainable fashion in Web3. Hi, everyone. Welcome. Today, we have a very exciting guest straight from Paris, Julie Pont. Uh, I, I hope I pronounced it right. Uh, Julie is a fashion creative director specializing in fashion, creativity, and tech. And she just told me also to introduce her as a tech enthusiast and creativity and fashion enthusiast, which I like. Uh, Julie is a fashion creative director at Heritech. She specializes in trend and cultural research, as well as data analysis to provide real-time data solutions for fashion businesses to help them understand and anticipate consumer uh, trends. So super nice to have you here. Thanks for inviting me. I'm very excited to answer your question and to share my knowledge about like how fashion and AI can mix and make a beautiful marriage. Okay, yeah, let's talk let's talk about this marriage. Uh I prepared a little introduction to kind of set a tone and to think, you know, what actually is trend forecasting. So to me, trend forecasting as an industry mainly answers the big question, what will happen next? What are the plausible futures and scenarios? And uh trends can span everything from estimating who will be elected as a new president or how we will use VR headsets. This is what many people are asking now themselves, if we, and if so, how. In fashion, actually, it is very closely tied to shapes, colors, textures, many things also that can be captured in images. So the whole process of spotting a trend is very much about scanning different fashion cultural outlets and pattern recognition. And once that pattern is recognized, then it can be contextualized and, I don't know, acted on, and you will tell us more about it later. And in last years, machine learning and image recognition became a part of this process. Uh, and actually also one of key use cases of AI in fashion. So jumping deep in, Julie, how can AI help anticipate, predict, or analyze fashion trends? So what we do at Uritech is actually we are operating image recognition, uh, AI image recognition um, on social media images to capture like details of the garments that people are wearing on those pictures and then to quantify the behavior of the identified trend. For instance, if I, if I were a picture on the social media right now, my module would be able to, my Eurotech module would be able to say, this is a, a woman about 30 years old that is wearing a t-shirt that is black with a brown call and something that very, very, very specific. So my outfit today is not very, <laughs> very explicit. Uh, regarding this, but basically on every picture, we were able to say how people are dressed. And then we applied a series of uh, algorithms that are able to forecast the behavior of this trend. Um, thanks to past data, because we were crawling social media for almost seven years now. So it's uh, statistic. It's basic statistic. So it's kind of um, a project in the future that rely on something that is from the past. So it's kind of a intellectual gymnastic to get it, but it makes very sense because as we all know, the trends are very cyclic. So if something is appearing, it's mm. very unlikely that it's completely new. So we have everything in stock to actually make combination of past trends to be sure that we are 
completely covering the market and to be able to quantify how those trends first going to appear, then going to leave and then going to fade. So it's a very complex and complete uh, tech that is not only saying, oh, this is coming, oh, this is popping, but we are, all, we are able to say this is popping, this is popping in this category of person, in this yeah. very specific country for this amount of time. Mm. Our general methodology. Yeah, I like how you started describing what you're wearing because we're almost both wearing black t-shirts. So it, it, it's almost funny to think that, you know, uh, if we were to be portrayed uh, by algorithm now, we would be both, you know, 30 question mark, uh, you know, years of age uh, women with, uh, <laughs> with black t-shirts. But is this more of a human machine collaboration or... Um, I'm asking because trend forecasting in fashion and cultural industries was always very, maybe even a bit messy, very intuitive. And it was, there was always this belief that there's a group of certain people who have this power over either predicting or actually establishing what is trend. So how does very zero one algorithmic uh, approach to trend forecasting, as you said, it's statistics to this, you know, very intuitive and, uh, fluid space how, how do they overlap and how do they work together uh, before answering i need to make something clear we are not here to say to create what they need to create we are here to give a state of play of the market and how consumers are responding to to the author because our main point is not just to predict uh the trend behavior is to actually be completely unbiased i mean it's a bit ironic because we are only operating on social media but on social media, we really want to have like the most unbiased data possible to actually understand what people are actually wearing. So actually buying, so maybe actually wanting. Because um, trend forecasting, traditional trend forecasting is all about desire and intuition and gut feeling. And this is a different job. We are here to quantify what makes this gut feeling becoming a trend. Because the... Um, the, the, I would say classic trend forecasting agency are just giving some leads to follow or not. And we're not here to say you need to do this or that. We are here to say this is the state of play and this is how this state of play is going to be evolving in the next few months, years. So I would say that we're not trend forecasting agency at all for this. The only part of human trend forecasting is my team, the fashion team, because to have mm -hmm. this to be able to forecast and to understand on a quantified level, we need people to train those modules. And this is why my team is here, because if you have a training modules that is running into the void, you're going to pick up like maybe 1,200 women wearing a black t-shirt, but they're going to miss the scarf top that is actually trending right now on TikTok. So we need human beings to say where you need to, where you need to go, where you need to look at what you need to understand. And we are here to develop all the metrics that actually can help our product team to come up with new algorithm, with new, you know, metrics, because we are actually uh, pulling the trigger and also all the threads. We are here to pull the threads and to go to the very roots of the trend and to understand what is the mechanism behind uh, the trends. So we need a human being to actually um, on the very instinctive, instinctive uh, behavior, be able to say, oh, something is happening. And then we need our data scientists to actually 
quantify this intuition and maybe it's not something that is relevant because it's too niche or too weak signals, but we are going to amplify those instincts and to find a way to measure it and to quantify it, to make it a business, uh, business insight, leverageable business insights. Hmm. I have many follow-up questions, but maybe let's start uh, from from the one because you said about business insights. So how do actually different, you know, fashion businesses benefit from them? How different ones? Uh, could you maybe give us like a like an example? So the first, I would say, big advantage of Eurydeck is to be a platform. We are, our clients are not relying on us to take the decision. They still are the professional that need to be, you know, responsible for their actions. So we're not here to be parole uh, d'évangile, as we said in French, means the speech of God. We are here to just give them the, you know, the environment around the brands and how they should operate, what would be the opportunity. At the very end, it's their, it's their action that's going to matter the most. So this is the first thing I really appreciated in this in this because we are a platform you can share this platform with all the teams within your brand you can make people collaborate over a very common language that is data but also images because we we managed to have a product that is very visual to speak to fashion people and not to overwhelm them with a lot of data so this is the first aspect that i really think is a big difference from Eurotech because we are not a consulting agency sometimes we have to make some consulting project for very, very complex questions that is not uh, supported in the platform yet. But the, the, the main advantage is for we are a tool. So people can actually insert Eurotech whenever we want in their supply chain, in the value chain from for the team they consider important too. And the second one is like we our our very goal is to help brands to improve their sales through being more responsible not in the greenwashing way, but we tend to explain to our clients that they can actually make revenue and profitable revenue without being wasting money, material and time over things that won't be sold because people do not want this at this moment or to replan and to put this design that might be a huge success and very creative for later. Or for a different geography, because maybe it's not something that's going to work in Europe, but it could be a huge success in China because it's a very huge cultural gap. And there's more opportunity in this globalized world than just like having one collection for everybody. So we're trying to make them understand that knowing better their audience and by audience, I'm not mentioning marketing. We're not here to build personas. We are here to actually give them a lecture. Not, not giving them a lecture, but in French we say lecture. <laughs> Give them um, the opportunity to actually have the state of play of the market they're operating in to okay. take strategic decision and to be sure that their assortment is well balanced and there is not too much of this SKU or this SKU because we we come up with the conclusion that brands are producing a lot to be sure that something's going to be sold at the end. Because if you produce 150 t-shirts with all the colors possible in the world, you're quite sure that some of them are going to be sold, but you will have like leftovers. This is the main problem in fashion today. So the, the bet, the very beginning of Eurotech, the bet is to say, okay, maybe we can help the fashion brands to produce smartly, uh, very creative products 
and with a very, you know, with a sense of it's okay, there is no formal, there is no stress because you know what you are doing, there is no bed anymore. So we are not here to reduce the creativity, but to really put the effort at the right level of creativity and to be sure that the people that need to be creative are relaxed and sure about what they're going to do because they know that they will find their public. Mm, okay. Uh, yeah, what, what, what picked my interest with what you were saying is this uh, kind of cultural and uh, geolocation specificity and I was thinking maybe one of the things that will be worth to people listening to explain is uh, what are those data sets and how it is linked to social media, because maybe for some people this is not clear. So so how to, what is a, what are those data sets and how different and what social media platforms are playing into it? So we are mainly operating on Instagram right now. We are also developing uh, our algorithm on TikTok, but this is not live. It's just a prototype for now. And in China, we are operating on Weibo and Little Red Book. And to ensure that our panels are the most efficient possible, we have three different levels of panels. So there is a first one that is handmade by my team. So we are manually curating accounts of people that we do think could be ahead uh, of the trends because uh, because of their style, their lifestyle, the way they actually uh, where the clothes is they're not specifically related to the fashion industry they're just creative people that were they, with their look and we we bet then they're going to be weak signals olders if i may then we have a second panel that we call the trendy panel it's for people that are more like amplificators of the first group of people they are like followers of the trends they have a lot of uh, power in turning a weak signals into a massive trend this is in this panel that we put the influencers, the professional ones, and also um, movie uh, movie movie actors, singers, uh, celebrities, and also people that have a huge influence because of their style. So, journalists, fashion journalists, stuff. And the third one is uh, completely uh, data driven. It's made by our data scientists, and it's. Uh, a big data panel so with people that are completely anonymous and i would say like real life people so it's on this panel that we are able to crawl our pictures and to make our statistic because we want it to be unbiased and the two first um, panels allow us to measure the penetration of a trend is it something that is very niche or is it something that is getting bigger and bigger or is it something that is already mainstream so this is how we measure the impact of the trend in the markets hmm. okay that yeah yeah it's very clear uh i was thinking because when uh when we spoke previously in paris we were also talking about uh your background that you are uh that you studied art history and there's actually this paradoxity between, you know, predicting the futures, but also referring to the past. And it's like this constant loop of one feeding into another because nothing comes from nothing from the dust is, is always rooted in something. And as you were talking, I was thinking also about the gesture of curating. So is it, is it, is in a way technology become a means of curating and picking those kind of new trends? And also spinning of that, I was thinking, you know, how this could be applied to institutions. Could institutions start, you know, for example, art museums, galleries, could they start thinking how to also implement it? Because here, obviously, objective is 
what to produce, what to sell, how to, you know, how to approach the consumer, what might be the next thing. And what are, what are your thoughts for this, for example, other angle of things? Um, for this, I'm, I'm, it would be maybe my less techy answer is yeah. that what I learned I should reject is that, uh, a tech without a human being is nothing really. It's a tool. And even if, even when we are building the tool itself, we need to think that at the very, very beginning, at the very least, we need new beings. And for fashion, it's like even more real because we really need to create manually the trends first. And then we are the judge of what we need to proceed and to put in our modules because we are the one who said, okay, this is something that is getting serious. So we need to quantify it because now the artificial intelligence can quantify only what I demanded her to quantify. Oh. If I'm just like letting our modules going again into the void, like they're going to monitor yeah. everything that is already learned. So the black t-shirt and blah, 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 and all the categories of our taxonomy that is already in the box, I would say. But the emerging crossing, the novelty, it's something that is out of its reach for now. Mm. Mm. So they can, they, our artificial intelligence can't say at this today, can't say, okay, this is a new crossing. I've never seen this type of t-shirt, never. So sending us an alert, for example. No, the alert is still a human being saying, this is new, this is something we need to learn to recognize, and then machine take over. But the mm. roots, and this is how I don't really, I don't really, don't really believe first and think that the people that are claiming that we are full uh, data and AI driven are really honest because I know that behind the scenes you need a lot of human beings and a lot of human brains to, to to conceptualize, to understand, to make all those very tiny connections together to, to actually create new insights and to have like the best data and to train the best models. And this is why I don't, I don't know how for the rest of the creative industries, the, the AI can be leveraged because it's a, it's a, it's a formidable tool when you want to, to go, to go after human, I would say, like, for mm. instance, I, if I just imagine something that could be interesting for a museum is to be able to have like your entire collection completely uh, an analyzed and quantified to be sure the amount of impressionist uh, conveys or um, no. classical conveys, the, the ratio between this and that, if you want to create a collection, to be a creator would help you to pilot your creation. But the, at the end, it's like, it's like for our clients, it's a human being taking the decision to buy another Picasso or having a new Manet because you want to balance your collection. It's the same. You can have like the state of your collection because a human being have never of his entire life to actually go through the entire collection of some museum. But the decision is always a human being decision. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a great answer. Maybe. Uh, but yeah, I was at the Wallace Collection. It's a very old institution in London and they had now a show about dogs in their collection. So imagine this is something that, you know, the kind of the first picking of whatever paintings they have with dogs, this could totally be, you know, in collaboration with technology. It wouldn't necessarily have to be a person who goes through all of it. 
uh, on their own because I presume Wallace Collection has a massive collection. So you were describing it, there's this important human factor. So what skills are necessary uh, to work with trends and AI? Um, plasticity. Because um, I would say the, the, the biggest challenge when you're uh, dealing with the with the AI when you are not a tech person is to understand the limitation, what it's required to actually be efficient with uh, artificial intelligence, to be very specific about the description of what you're looking for because an artificial intelligence is not intelligence. So it's really like explaining why fishes need water <laughs> to something that is not capable to actually make connection by itself. So you can't just say, Okay, a jumpsuit is something that has only one uh, one opening in the back and the rest is only two sleeves and two legs. And then you will have like everything that actually an artificial intelligence can can recognize according to this definition. And believe me, you can have like huge surprises. At the very beginning of Eurotech, when we wanted to train it to recognize like handbags, it was yeah. defined as something that you carry with your own hands. And when and and when we trained the models and received the first data set, we had like some uh, axe <laughs> and swords because it's basically buried with yeah. hands. And it was according to an AI, it was okay. It was legged, but for a fashion company, it was absolutely nonsense. So we had to say, okay, it's something that you can carry with your hands, without maybe pockets, and it's not a clothes. It's something that's made of leather, and leather is. This that so it's all gymnastics you need to have in mind to always say everything that seems to be obvious evident for you as a fashion professional is not so you have to explain everything and go back to the very roots of your job and the contrary is the same because when you deal with the as a data scientist i am i i imagine that when you deal with a fashion professional they say okay your taxonomy is uh it's not working um i'm sorry but the data set is not okay I know that you did your best to have like the best images, but so far it's not it's not recognized. We need to retrain the models. We need to do this and that. And the, but mm -hmm. according to the math, it's okay. Our uh, threshold and uh, our um, percentage of recall is okay. The the precision rate is okay. So there is nothing wrong. And you're like, still, there is something wrong. You need to believe me. And this is basically the. It's not a fight, but a bit. The fight between uh, something that is very, <laughs> very data-driven, math-driven, and something that is super hard mm -hmm. to rationalize. Because at one point, how do you make the difference between the Adidas Gazelle and Adidas uh, Samba? Oh. For, for data scientists, it's a shoe, it's a basket, it's a sneakers. And for an artificial intelligence, it's a footwear. And then that's it. And then you have to find all the tiny details that make the difference mm -hmm. and how to train those details. So it's... a uh, it's a permanent um, back and forth dialogue and translation work that is extremely energy demanding, but in the same time, very, very rich and interesting because as a fashion professional, I would never, never collaborate with people like data scientists. It was not meant to be, but pulling those type of profiles together, you can actually completely uh, rethink and reshape trend forecasting, trend of um, demand forecasting, consumer insight forecasting, everything. It's not just about forecasting, it's just about quantifying things that seems to be completely intuitive, but it's not. It's an, it's systems, systems everywhere. 
And really, Eurotech showed me that there is explanation in everything, except on very, very, very few blooming creation. But to be honest, in the fashion industry recently, it's super, super rare to to, to see something that is brightening you and very like oh. from. It's always like the reinterpretation of something that is already happening. And as a as a fashion and costume historian, everything is always repeating. So finding a way to actually break the system and understand the pattern is really, really, really satisfying. Mm, amazing. It's interesting how very much language is becoming this very necessary skill, as I think in the past, language and the words particularly in design education, fashion design education, for example, were not so fundamental. It was always just emphasizes on the visual and the creative side of things. So this is what I'm also uh, getting from you. Uh, I have one last question. Also, I'm a bit sad that there is no place for chaos and serendipity because I think they're very, very important. So I hope there is this, you know, little like glitch moment where it happens. And uh, okay, that's good. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for reconfirming that. If I may yeah. on this topic, I also, I, I'm like you, I love creativity, serendipity. And to me, fashion is all about this. I'm not saying that, uh, you know, we need to be full data driven. This is not my goal and my personal belief. I think you need the marriage of both to allow people mm -hmm. that are completely creative to actually be creative. Because today, I used to be a designer in big, in big brands and everything is, uh, everything is ruled by money, marketing and business. And it's okay. It's a way to make business. But I also believe that serendipity um, and creativity will appear aside from this system. And maybe we will in the future have a new luxury that it would be like, you know, human-made branding. Like there is no data. There is no AI. It's only human being being creative. And I do feel that the next luxury is at our door. And also, I really like to when it's not politically correct to say so, but I think that this type of uh, of tool, as you retake, force forces the fashion industry to face what it actually is. Fashion industry is a creative industry, but at the very end of this, because the first goal is to make money. And when I hear your clients say, we are that creativity we are the one who makes these trends and blah 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 it makes me laugh because i used to work for them yeah. and also i used to observe that yes at the very origin of those brands it was tremendous uh, tremendous creativity talented people and it was all about like being artists but now it's being like uh salespeople and this is something that i really enjoy also because the people that are actually using Retech are very, very, very conscious of what they are actually doing. There is no, you know, they're not pretending that they are artists. They say, okay, we are making clothes to be sold. And I think it's also a way to put fashion at the very, at the right place. I, I mean, in terms of business and the creative fashion people have another room to explore and to be themselves. And yeah, I like the fact that AI and data-driven aspect of the fashion is putting everything, you know, as we said in French, it's not an expression in English, but we said centré. Okay, things are clear. We are here to sell things. So we are not dealing with the creative, not pretending to be creative. 
in the meantime, we are just uh, telling designers to redo and redo the same things that have been sold so well the previous uh, season. And I do feel that being data-driven as a designer can help you to actually bring the circle and stand out and say, ha, I have a data that proves that my creative intuition can be actually something that you can solve. So believe me, trust me, listen to me, and maybe we will in the future have a more creative and interesting collection because creative people won't be afraid anymore to face sales people or marketing people say, hey, you are relying on figures and numbers, yeah. but have the same, and I'm able to prove that my intuition can be a good bet. This is what actually drives me at Suritech. Hmm. That's, that's very, very interesting. I'm happy that you that you said that. I have a, on the kind of ethical note, I have one last question about digital ethics, because this is a very big topic, not maybe so big when talking about fashion technology, but uh, in AI, it's a, it's, a, it's a big conversation, so more for like uh, tech companies. Uh, what ethical considerations should be taken into account when using AI for trend forecasting? Because you use, for example, all of social data. So, so what are what are I don't know what are the what are the conversations you're having? What is important to you as a company? Uh, is there anything? Sure, it's a crucial question. And since the beginning, Eurydice is not dealing with uh, private accounts. We would have like the technical skills to go through private accounts, but we decided not to do. Hmm. We're not dealing with children images. At all. Um, actually, we have a models that recognize children and put them aside. And if we have children that appear in our mood board, we, we, I mean, we can make mistake and we can miss it because we are analyzing millions of pictures a day, but we're supposed to remove it manually. And, um, and we are not keeping our information. We are not keeping people pictures. It's something that we are just scanning and then it fade away. I must admit that it would be too expensive to keep it. So I'm not saying that it was completely, you know, like a, an ethic decision, but actually we were glad to not be able to because uh, we value private life and we're not here to spy people. We just want to capture what is actually their daily life to be sure that they're not pretending that this is something trendy. I, we really want to measure what people are actually wearing and not pre pre pretending to wear because you also have solutions and marketing analysis that rely on you know, famous Instagrammers and influencers, and we know that it's highly bi we know that it's highly biased because sometimes they just release, receive clothes they wear they wear it but they don't really actually you know adopt it. So we want to have real people to know what people are actually adopting and not pretending to wear. So this is my res my answer on the ethic part and on the on another level. As I mentioned before, we always tell to our clients that they need to take the decision themselves, not only to rely on the data-driven approach. They need to cross the information with their past sales, with their branding, with their identity, because sometimes there is something that is trendy that is absolutely not aligned with actually the, the story of the brand or the DNA and stuff. So we are here. You need to be human-centric, data-driven, but human-centric. This is something that I really cherish and I try my best to to tell it to our sales team and to repeat it in conferences and lectures in front of classes. I've been a jury this, this morning at SMOD uh, International School and I was keeping saying to the students, yes, it's important to be tech-friendly. It's important to understand data. Is it important? It's important to be data-driven, to be smarter and to have like a business that is 
not harmful, efficient, uh, revenue-driven, but at the, the end, you are a human and you need to be human-centric. Great. Amazing. I think this is... I think this is a perfect closing for our conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's, it's been a pleasure.